Hello again everyone. Welcome to our new study, the Holy Spirit series. And we're going to spend quite a number um, of sessions looking at this wonderful person in the Godhead of the Holy Spirit and seeking to cultivate a deeper intimacy and knowledgeable relationship with him. I suppose there's no better place to start in the New Testament looking at the Holy Spirit than the Acts of the Apostles or as uh, some have coined it, the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it's really the Spirit's work through the Apostles that we have here in record in the book of Acts. And can I just say to you that Acts is more than simply a history record. It is history by the wonderful historian Luke who also wrote the Gospel and the two um, books, Luke's Gospel and Acts are really one uh, volume together but um, he was more than a historian he was a theologian and what you have in Acts is what we would call theological narrative and that simply means that through the stories that we have here we are being taught something and what we are being taught is normative Christianity in other words this is the way Christianity is meant to be this is not something unique for just the birthing time of Christianity, but it's actually showing us what authentic Christianity is meant to be like. And so I've written at the end of the Acts of the Apostles these little words, to be continued, dot, dot, dot. I wonder, is this your experience of Christianity, what we see on the pages of the Acts? We're going to start reading verse 1, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Now that's interesting. Jesus began to do and teach and it's as if the Holy Spirit now has taken over. And we will um, look at what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, 16 in a little while. How Jesus promised another who would come that was necessary for the great task of the commission that he'd given to the apostles. But look down to verse 14 now for a moment. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the seasons the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And what we find as we begin to read into Acts is this verse 8 being outworked in a pattern of how the Holy Spirit was outpoured. Can I just say that a lot of Christians believe that the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost and that's everything done. The operation of the Holy Spirit being given has been completed. That's not quite accurate. Now let me say, just as we don't need Calvary, the crucifixion of Jesus to be repeated as a sacrifice for his sins, neither do we need a new Pentecost in that sense. The Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost and yet just as individually we need to enter into our own personal experience of Calvary through forgiveness of sins and being born again ourselves, we also need to enter into our own personal Pentecost. We need to experience what it is to be filled, or whatever terminology you would like to use, empowered completely with the Holy Spirit. And actually, the pattern in the act shows us that this was not a once and for all occurrence, the outpouring of the Spirit. 
Of course, the most famous is in Acts chapter 2. But what a lot of people don't uh, really take note of is that Acts 2 was the outpouring of the Spirit to the Jews, to Jerusalem and Judea. The Jewish people were met together at Pentecost to celebrate that Jewish feast. This is what we have in verse 8 of chapter 1. The Holy Spirit will be poured out in Jerusalem and in all Judea. There's some distinctives about that outpouring in Acts 2. Then we go to Acts chapter 8 and we find the Holy was poured out upon Samaria. And there's a lot of bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritans as we know from history. And they, they did not look kindly on them as a race or on their religion. And yet the Holy Spirit came to them. And it was slightly different on this occasion. But nevertheless, some of the indicative figures of the Holy Spirit coming in power like Pentecost were present. And so that follows the pattern again of chapter 1, verse 8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And then in chapter 10, you've got Cornelius' house, and he was an Italian officer in uh, the Roman army. Uh, he's a Gentile from the uttermost parts of the world, if you like. And Peter preached words to his household whereby they may be saved, and the Holy Spirit fell. And they received the Holy Spirit as Gentiles just the way the Jews did at the beginning. And that was the distinctive mark that allowed them to receive these people as believers. There's a very interesting story. So we're seeing Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. Chapter 2, chapter 8, chapter 10. But here in chapter 19 of Acts, there's a crowd of 12 men who had not yet received the Holy Spirit, and they don't seem to fit into to that uh, sequencing of chapter 1, verse 8. Let's look at this verse. Verse 1 of 19 through um, the chapter, just down to verse, um, we'll go down to verse 7. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12. Isn't that interesting? 12 men? Ring any bells? Uh, they're in a, a city called Ephesus, which is a Gentile city. They're described in verse 1 as being disciples. And usually when it doesn't designate whose disciples they are, it's assumed that it's disciples of Jesus. So it doesn't say disciples of John or anyone else. Therefore, it's assumed these were disciples of Jesus. And Paul asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when, some translations say, since you believed? The answer that they give is staggering. They said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Imagine disciples saying, we don't, we've never heard hardly of any Holy Spirit. And then Paul starts to probe, asking what baptism they had received. And they said they were baptized into John's baptism. And John, Paul begins to explain how John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for people to turn from their sins in the expectancy that Messiah was coming. And of course, he pointed out Jesus was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And, and he again mentions how John the Baptist's message was Jesus. 
follow Jesus, be baptized for repentance, but follow Jesus. And it is assumed here that these 12 guys were baptized into repentance, but they also follow Jesus. Um, now, let me just pause for a moment, because some people say, no, no, these people were not true, fully fledged, fully baked Christians. Um, they may have been baptized into repentance, but they hadn't completely believed on Jesus, and Paul was pointing them to Christ here. Um, well, that doesn't explain why they're called disciples uh, to a measure. But let's just go with that for a moment and say, well, maybe they weren't complete Christians who had entered into a full experience of what it is to be a new covenant believer. Well, if that is the case, verse 5 we say, we see that when they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. So they baptized again. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. Now, let's, for the sake of argument, and I have to be persuaded on this, but for the sake of argument, let's say that they weren't fully 100% Christians, whatever that means. Um. But at this moment, Paul, Paul pointed them to Christ. Then he baptizes them into Jesus Christ. We might say believer's baptism. But he lays hands on them. And then they receive the Holy Spirit. And often the people that argue that these were not fully fledged Christians are trying to argue that the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost as a once and for all event. And all you need to do is believe for salvation in Jesus and you receive all of the Holy Spirit you need. And let me be completely clear. When you're born again, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The book of Romans says if we do not have the Holy Spirit, we don't belong to Jesus. That's clear. But what we're talking about is another encounter of the Holy Spirit where we're completely immersed and empowered and endued from on high with the abilities that he gives. And I want to ask you this question. If it was the case that the Holy Spirit had already came and all who are born again receive all that we need of the Holy Spirit. Why wasn't it that Paul just baptized them into the name of the Lord Jesus, led them to Christ, as we would say today, and left it at that? Because that wasn't enough. There was more and they needed that more. And Paul laid hands on them and they received that more. I'm not prescribing that people need to lay hands on you to receive the Holy Spirit because we see in some of the other accounts in the pattern that that didn't happen. Like in Cornelius' house, the Holy Spirit just fell. Nobody was laying hands on anyone. It's the same in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit just fell. Now, what I am saying is this. The Apostle Paul saw these disciples and discerned, he detected that there was something missing in their Christian experience. We're not saying they weren't right with God. We can't say that categorically. But we're saying that there was something deficient. There was a shortfall in their spiritual experience as disciples. And that actually mirrors where the original disciples were at the very beginning. Even after Jesus rose and ascended. They had not a complete experience of everything that Jesus died for them because Pentecost still had to come. And so we, we are really seeing now that there's a sense in which Christian experience or to be Christian according to the Acts of the Apostles is fourfold. Um, it is repentance toward God, faith in Jesus Christ, water baptism and receiving the Spirit or some would call it Spirit baptism. 
And the water baptism and the spirit baptism can alternate in order. If you look at the pattern, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, and here in 19, sometimes the water baptism comes before the spirit and sometimes spirit before water. So it's important not to make formula and the laying on of hands. And there's an account where there's no tongues that we know of, although they, they received the Holy Spirit and people knew that, so it might have been tongues. But we have to be very careful that we, we don't put rules around the moving of the Holy Spirit in this regard. Having said that, chapter 19 shows us that there was unfinished business in these disciples' lives. And I want to challenge you here today um, whilst you can be justified by faith alone in Christ, we're not saying you need to be baptized in water or receive the fullness of the Spirit to be, to be right with God. We're not saying that. But to have the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ in your life, the full experience of New Testament Christianity, you have to walk completely in the Spirit. You have to know what it is to be empowered from on high. And so I'm challenging you today, as the beginning of this Holy Spirit series, as Paul challenged these 12 Ephesian disciples who were left behind in the program of the Spirit coming, have you received all that you, you can receive of the Holy Spirit in his power when or since you believed? Or to, to, to ask in another way, what's missing? What is missing from your Christian experience? I want to challenge you from the mirror of the Word of God to actually look at yourself right now as Paul would look at you. Look at yourself with the help of the Spirit and ask yourself, what's missing? Is there something missing from um, my prayer life? Is there something missing from my understanding the Word of God, from hearing the voice of God? Is there is something missing of holiness? Is there a habitual sin, an addiction in my life? Is the flesh always, always overcoming me? And we all have temptation to misunderstand me and besetting sins. But but is the enemy in the flesh winning the day constantly? Or is there any victory in overcoming in my life? What about your witness as a Christian? It's interesting, it actually says here that, that one of the classic uh, indications that the Spirit had come would be they verse 8 of chapter 1 you would be my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world that the power of God would come upon them and remember they were scared disciples in an upper room for fear of their lives and now they the Holy Spirit flushes them out in Acts chapter 2 into the marketplace and they're fearless in presenting the gospel and what you've got is a, a guy like Peter who about a month and a half do the maths was denying Jesus Christ with oaths and curses and now he's standing up in the public place and he is fearlessly and boldly preaching Jesus Christ, whatever the consequences might be of that. Now the only explanation to that is the power of the Holy Spirit made him into another man. He was transformed and changed. And remember Jesus had died for sins and he had risen again and he ascended to heaven but something still had to happen in this man. And it was this Pentecostal power coming upon him in fullness. Now, might I say, and some might feel this is an aside, but I don't think it is, that as I look at the Church of Jesus Christ in my nation and, and indeed in the Western world, I discern, and even my own life, okay, so I'm putting myself right in the frame also, 
that something is missing. Certainly when it comes to boldness, something is missing. Now we're currently in the so-called um, pandemic of the coronavirus, COVID-19. I'm not suggesting for one moment that we rebel against wise um, and uh, understanding regulations that the government want to give to try and stem a disease. But what I am saying is this. I detect that boldness has, has disappeared from many Christians' lives and from the church. And particularly in this area of preaching the gospel and fearlessly going out, I'm not saying foolishly disregarding regulations, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying fear has gripped not all, just all of society in general, but the church who are meant to be a fearless people, who are meant to be a, a non-anxious presence in this world, who are meant to be bold. Fear has gripped the church to the point where they're paralyzed rather than empowered to preach the gospel. Control is a huge thing as well that I fear uh, much of the church has succumbed to also. And I was thinking of David and Goliath, you know that story. And uh, there were, were the Israelites totally paralyzed by fear and control of this giant. And the wee fellow David comes along and he says, who is this giant to defy the, 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 the troops of the living God and the, the Lord God of heaven? Who does he think he is? And uh, his brothers mocked him, thinking he doesn't know any better. But David actually recognized that there was a challenge to integrity of God, that, that Goliath was exalting himself against the knowledge of God, and he was going to take the weapons that he had, and remember Saul's armor was too great for him, but he took what he had, what God had given him, and God anointed that slingshot. And, and, but, but David's call was, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause today? to preach the gospel, to keep advancing the kingdom. I'm not suggesting we go back to the, new, the old normal of church. Maybe God is doing a new normal. But let's not be insular here. Let's actually see that it's not a time to down tools with regards to the Great Commission. I don't think the, the church ever saw that there was a time to down tools. We've got to get out and boldly proclaim the gospel in safe and sensible ways under the current climate. But one thing we need to do that is we need a fresh baptism of the power of the Holy Spirit and the boldness that the early apostles has, had. And remember these early Christians, it wasn't very long until they're being fed to lands and they're being torched with tar and pitch. It hasn't got that bad yet, has it? Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar. Let's keep the laws that, that we need to keep, but let's also be bold with the Holy Spirit upon us for what we need to do in this age. And listen, the Holy Spirit is not an optional extra for the Great Commission or for the existence uh, and activity of the church. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, said, you might as well try to hear without ears or breathe without lungs as try to live a Christian life without the Spirit of God in your heart. It's, it's like trying to drive a car without ignition, to push a car up a hill. On your own and a lot of Christians are pushers a lot of pushy Christians about it. that's not what I mean but a lot of Christians are pushers and they're living the Christian life by the power of their own steam and I even find myself lapsing into that from time to time and I need to come back to that place of walking in the spirit walking in the spirit and drawing from the spirit of God that he has given to us so I'm asking you today as I bring this first session to a close 
I mean, some Christians might have to say, they wouldn't say it because they believe in the Holy Spirit. They sing about the Holy Spirit. They say, I believe in the Holy Ghost in their confessions of faith. But practically speaking, they may have to say along with these Ephesians, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. He might as well not be in my life because there's no evidence of it. We'll talk more about how we can enter into this, but I want you to consider Look in the mirror of God's word at yourself. Is there something missing? Is there something missing in the church? And why not even now open your life and say, Lord, I'm not even sure how this goes, but I'm willing. I'm willing. We'll see later on that Luke chapter 11, Jesus says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Spirit give the, your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? So why not even come now and say, Father, in Jesus' name, give me the Holy Spirit in all of his fullness. Lord, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for the book of Acts. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who inspired these pages. And we simply say, come Holy Spirit, we need you. Father, in Jesus' name, give all the fullness of the Holy Spirit to me to those listening to me and to your church and continue with us now as we seek to understand more about this blessed person of the Holy Spirit. Reveal yourself to us in the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next time.